Welcome to Bancroft's Broadcasts, the school podcast where we talk to staff, parents and pupils to find out more about the school and its community. This is the place to keep up to date and in touch with our school. So let's get into this episode of Bancroft's Broadcasts. In this episode, we're spending time in Bancroft's prep school. We'll be meeting Director of Studies Tim Paramore, who'll explain his approach to the prep school's curriculum, how it's decided, how it works, and what benefits it brings for the children of Bancroft's prep school. Hello there, Tim. Hello. Good to meet you. Thanks so much for joining us. Very nice to be here. Now, Tim, first things first, just help us get some clarity on your your job title at Bancroft. What role do you hold at the school? So I'm the director of studies at the prep school. It's got sort of a job that has different names at different schools, but it's basically the academic lead. I'm responsible for curriculum assessment and all that kind of thing across the prep school. So that's quite a broad remit then. Yeah, it is. It, it involves a lot of things. I end up doing the timetable, end up sorting out kind of reports and parents' evenings and that kind of thing, end up... Uh, organising cover and things in the prep school. But really, the the exciting part of my job is thinking about, you know, strategically, where does the school go in terms of what the children learn, how they learn it, and, um, you know, what we want children to have achieved and what we want them to have experienced by the time they leave us. And how long have you been at Bancroft's? I've been at Bancroft, this is my sixth year now, and it's my third year in this particular role. I see. And have you always worked within the preparatory age group? Yeah, I have. I was. Um, I did 11 years um, in state primary schools. My last job before this, I was a deputy head in Haringey. I see. So you know that age group and their needs and their learning styles, I'd imagine, quite well by now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I mean, I think there is something really nice about this particular age group they're of an age where you can have an intelligent conversation with them but perhaps some of the things that some people might find off-putting about working with teenagers haven't really kicked in yet <laughs> i think that's a that's a, a fair enough point of view i think plenty of people will, will see what you mean with that one absolutely so let's dig into him a little bit more then into your job role director of studies now as soon as you said that i did think that sounds like a very a very broad remit it could cover quite a lot and you've already told us there are a few of the things that it entails you mentioned curriculum you mentioned the idea that, yeah. that that this particular role of yours gives you responsibility for the curriculum is that all aspects of the curriculum yeah it is i mean the way i often put it is that i think managing the curriculum you've got to think about three things um essentially three dimensions with a solid object we say it's got height depth and breadth and i think the same thing is true with um with a school curriculum you've got obviously bancroft is a it's a selective school it's got very high academic ambitions it's it's you know in many ways what bancroft's reputation um historically has been based on and maintaining that is absolutely essential but it, we can't just do that we've also got to think about breadth we've got to think about the range of experiences that children are having as they go through the school and we've got to think about depth we've got to think about have we got a curriculum that's teaching children to think to uh, to imagine what could be to combine something they've learned in one subject with what they've learned in another subject. So all of those three aspects, height, breadth and depth, that's really kind of what I see as uh, my my mission here. That's a really useful way for us to think about it. Thank you. So it's, it's, it's much more complex and interesting than just a list of this is what we feel the children should learn. You're having to look at it from those multiple perspectives. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I, I try to avoid any kind of uh, curriculum measure or, or document even that is entirely based on bullet points and lists. Even our, that the, the curriculum for the prep school, which mm. we share with all of our um, parents each year, it's written in narrative form. You know, try to make it feel almost more like a story. This is what the journey is going to look like as they go through the school, rather than being a, a shopping list of atomized learning objectives. 
Oh, I see. Right. So that really helps to describe the benefits you're hoping to bring, the journey the children will be on. Yeah. And I hope it, it helps everyone, um, children and parents, to understand understand it as a journey, to see it as, uh, to understand where they're going, to understand mm. where they've been. And I think looking at it like that, looking at it as a, almost as a story is um, is quite a helpful way to, to imagine it. Do you have many constraints within which you have to work or do you have a lot of freedom when you're uh, setting and discussing and deciding the curriculum? Well, undeniably, one of the joys of working in an independent school compared to my previous role in the state sector is that we don't have to follow the national curriculum chapter and verse. However, that said, one does have to be aware that the children from our school are going to be sitting the same external exams as people from other schools where they get to GCSE and A-level. So I do also think we have a duty to deliver the national curriculum to them. But I think what our status as an independent school allows us to do is deliver more than that, to deliver almost like the national curriculum plus, national curriculum and everything else that we think matters to give what they're learning that extra height, that extra depth and that extra breadth. Again, that's a really useful thing for us to learn, the fact that it's not that you have the freedom to necessarily disregard or move away from the national curriculum but you've got the freedom to add so much more to it and to 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 build so much more into the experience children have yeah i think that's it absolutely i think um in many ways the the basics of maths and english for example i mean i i I see those as a right that's something that um i think if you don't teach those and you don't ensure that what your children are learning is the same as what they'd be learning anywhere else you're denying them something um but we, you know, we've got to aspire to be to be more than that and to offer more than that. And so those, those rudiments of the national curriculum, they're certainly part of what we do, but they're, they're the beginning. They're not the whole picture. I see. Could you give us an example, perhaps, of where you have the freedom to go further? What sort of additional extra material or, or experiences do you have the freedom to add to that national curriculum at the core? I mean, the big and most obvious example of how we've been able to um, to do that in the last couple of years is that we've expanded our timetable and expanded our offer so that we've got timetabled sessions in philosophy and in outdoor learning. And we've also been ex- able to expand our provision in drama and design technology. And obviously for some of these things, we're, uh, we're able to make use of the wonderful grounds that we've got here, sometimes the facilities they've got in the senior school. And it just enables us to, to offer our children, I think, something a bit more special and a bit more a bit more broad than what they they perhaps would have had um, if they'd uh, if they'd attended many other schools. Now I'm sure many of us would hear the idea of, of philosophy at that particular age group being perhaps a subject we hadn't considered that they might be dealing with. They might be learning. Tell us a bit more about the decision to bring philosophy into the prep school curriculum. I think the most important thing you can understand about children at key stage two, children between the ages of seven and eleven that we teach at the prep school, is that if you, if they think you're entrusting them with something that could be considered too grown up for them or too advanced for them, in my experience, not just at Bancroft, but everywhere, children of this age will move heaven and earth to prove that they can get their heads around it. And there's nothing they like more than um, the thought that you're sharing something quite advanced, quite um, grown up with them. And I love talking about sort of paradoxes. I've had discussions with our year sixes about time travel and about, you know, if you went back in time and assassinated one of your ancestors, would you ever have been born? So would you have been able to go back in time in the first place? And all of those questions, you know, they they love that because children are are naturally curious. They want to, um, they want to know about the world. And philosophy is all about looking at basically the, the absurd nature of the life that we live <laughs> as human beings and saying, what is all this? What is all, what's it all about? And I think there's, there's nothing nothing more important you can do with, um, with children than, than explore those questions. And of course, children love asking questions, don't they? 
they love posing these problems as they consider different ideas. And and if maybe we just haven't considered that as being philosophy, but you're helping us understand that it, philosophy maybe goes hand in hand with the way children inquire and ask and, and consider the world that they live in. Well, I actually did a philosophy degree. And one of my professors at Sheffield said that philosophy could have been a subject invented by a seven-year-old at dinner time. So his parents said, you should eat your peas. And the seven-year-old says, well, why? The parent <laughs> says, well, because... Um, you want to stay healthy. Why? Because you want to survive. Why? Because you want to live a good life. Why? And eventually, almost the most mundane um, questions, if you keep asking why long enough, you're going to end up somewhere quite philosophical. And of course, I imagine for a lot of parents trying to get their children to eat their peas, that could be rather frustrating. But I think for us in a school, it's something we can tap into and make use of. Absolutely. That makes so much sense. Now, you also mentioned outdoor learning. Tell us about the role of outdoor learning within the curriculum. So, I mean, this is all about trying to make sure that our children experience, most of them live in a city, most of them have quite an urban existence, and we want them to experience the outdoors. We want our children to not get to an age where they're, you know, terrified of mud or insects or the things that you might come across. And I think outdoor learning really helps them to... um, or to connect with nature, but also to kind of do activities they wouldn't usually do that might build a bit of resilience and um, require them to work in a team. It has all sorts of benefits that perhaps don't, aren't quite so obvious in the traditional academic subjects. Um, and we're ne- right next to Epping Forest, so we're so wonderfully served with this, this beautiful natural resource, and it would be madness not to make use of it. Chris Hall, who's our uh, head of outdoor learning, he's done an absolutely fantastic job putting a programme together for um children in every year group where they you know doing everything from you know just earlier today there was a group of them outside uh building building shelters and he was linking it to that the work they've been doing on the second world war and history every week a different class goes to Lambourne end outdoor education center and they've been busy um learning about conservation planting hedges you know kind of repairing and uh taking care of the sort of area around a, a lake there and um it's just giving them an experience that some of them probably wouldn't have if we didn't um, if we didn't provide it. And I think you know, learn and making them understand that learning is about more than just the traditional academic subjects. Although, of course, those matter too. Interesting there, though, that you tell us, Tim, about the connection between outdoor learning and the other, perhaps more conventional topics that the children are learning in the classroom. Does that partnership between the outdoor and the classroom work well? well I think it's always good when you can to make connections between uh, between different subjects and between different different disciplines children study. I mean, I, th- I think you can go too far down the road of forcing those links sometimes where they, they don't exist. But where those links are found, obviously, if you learn something in one context and then you apply it in another context, that's going to reinforce it in your memory. It's going to make it's going to make um, the, the work you did in both subjects more memorable and uh, more enduring. Excellent. So there's two waves of benefit here then, aren't there? There's, there's reinforcing and, as you say, building that enduring nature of the, of, of the things the children are learning. But then I really like that point you made earlier, just about exploring the outdoors, getting dirty, uh, getting muddy, seeing what adventures are like when you venture, and as you say, into Epping Forest being being so near. Now, tell us a bit about design, technology, that side of the curriculum. I mean, obviously, this is something where teachers are can naturally be a little bit hesitant because, of course, it involves tools and the idea that we're um, encouraging children to do something a little bit risky, to use saws and hammers and um, you know tools that you know, one does obviously have to be very, very careful about the um, the safety uh, regulations around them. But again, I think that's really important. And I think making children feel that they're not being patronised, making them feel that you are, you're looking not just at them as a child, but as the adult you want them to be. And giving them those those skills that, um, that will enable them to actually do things when they're older. Because, you know, I've, I've, in my life, I've kind of encountered 
so many people who they'll go through school and university and they'll you know have all this kind of academic knowledge but you know the moment they have to change a light bulb or you know do the slightest uh, uh the smallest practical task all of a sudden it becomes a real challenge and i think we don't want our, our um pupils to be these sort of head in the clouds academic people who can't do anything in the real world we want them to have practical skills and um there's absolutely no reason why there should be a conflict between academic success and you know practical ability of course, there's plenty to learn there, isn't there, in, in terms of, uh, as you say, fulfilling certain curriculum needs, but also, yeah, building that understanding and awareness of, of how to solve problems in the world in which we live. Absolutely. And of course, going back to the idea about making links, it involves an awful lot of measurement if you're doing it right. And, you know, you have to um, draw your design, plan your design, of course, 3D drawing and things like that. It makes links with art, with maths, with other areas of the curriculum. And I really like that parallel that you, you've given us between the idea of design on the curriculum and and philosophy i'm i really appreciate that point about equipping children with things that are possibly more grown up than we've given them credit for to say if we're going to give you these these this set of tools what can you do with it if we're going to give you this this way of thinking what can you do with it and i really like this idea that that children are able to take on bigger ideas and uh, sharper tools than perhaps we've given them credit for in the past it's about being ambitious for your pupils. You know, we always say we're ambitious for our pupils. And that's got to mean more than just saying they're going to be, you know, a bit better at maths and English than other 11-year-olds in the country. It's got to mean that we're we're giving them a whole range of skills in a whole range of areas and that they're going to have the opportunity when they're older to explore what they want to do and uh, to be able to, to live a life of fulfillment in what in whatever they the way they want to because you know they've been given so so many opportunities to be inspired by different experiences while they're here and that's you know if you're saying you're truly ambitious about uh, about what you want your children to be able to achieve in a school it's got to involve that breadth it's got to involve giving them many different options and many, in, expose them to many different um, experiences that's wonderful and it's by bringing topics like philosophy like outdoor learning like design more into the curriculum that you're you're broadening those experiences yeah absolutely but let's actually just return to maybe those more traditional or core topics if we could take a brief look at those tell me about things like english tell me about maths what's the approach there so like i said we remain absolutely committed to um you know the highest uh, academic standards um and our children do more maths and english than they do of any other individual subject that's still the case now as it has always been and um you know they are regularly assessed we think our teaching is pretty rigorous we ensure that each child is uh you know working um at a pace and in a way that's going to best support their progress uh, we monitor their progress regularly um and i mean i think the the crucial thing is that we um you know we take an interest in them as in individuals and we make sure each child gets the help they need to um to progress and obviously my um my real passion the last few years has been English. I was responsible for English before I became um, director of studies here, mm -hmm. and um, my my big uh, drive there has been trying to make sure that we we really are equipping them with all the the basic skills in terms of grammar and spelling and punctuation that um, will ensure their their writing is accurate as well as kind of you know creative and exciting and uh, and engaging. And I think um, you know we've made really really kind of useful steps in that direction in that time. Um, I've uh, actually written, um, well, had one book published about the teaching of uh, grammar by Bloomsbury Education. I've got another one on the way in uh, 
probably about April or May next year about the teaching of, of writing in primary schools. So, you know, those, for all I um, wax lyrical about the, the breadth of our curriculum, what we do at the, the core of it is very, very close to my heart indeed. So English really is your, your core passion, the, your, your specialist subject, if you will. Well, I suppose so. Like I say, my, my degree was actually uh, philosophy, but during my teaching career, I found myself kind of in every role I've been in, taking considerable responsibility, usually as English leader or English coordinator. So yeah, that as in a kind of professional capacity, that's become the, you know, what, uh, probably the, my greatest area of expertise. I see. Well, we'll look out for those books. It's good to know the school has that calibre of expertise with with, te- with teachers and staff such as yourself. We do Tim, our best. Tell us a bit about the way that things have changed. Has the curriculum or the demands upon the curriculum changed much over, over the years in which you've been working in the profession? I think... Um, the one thing that is is always changing and it is inevitably going to be a bigger part of the conversation in the future, of course, is technology. The lockdown and online learning provided probably a, a greater um, opportunity for teachers to develop their their skills around technology than any course they went on possibly could have done. You know, it forced us through necessity to learn to do things we probably didn't realise we would ever be capable of doing. Um, and part of the sort of almost a dilemma now is trying to work out how do we actually apply those skills we learned then and that progress that we many of us made in our own learning as teachers to the future in what will hopefully be more normal times and i think that's going to be a real challenge for us as we, as we move forward how do we integrate technology into our classrooms and what does that look like and how does it affect our curriculum and of course we live in a society which is constantly changing conversations in the broader world around things like history and justice and equality. These are constantly evolving conversations. Has that had much impact on your role looking at the curriculum? Well, a big part of what we've done in the last couple of years is update our history curriculum. And of course, this is it's a um, something where we have to tread very carefully. Obviously, it can be quite a sensitive issue. And, you know, our society is sadly kind of riven apart by culture wars and so all that kind of um, thing that you hear about in the news. But we believe that there's no um, there's no inherent conflict between teaching children those kind of ideas and stories that that we always learnt at schools. So learning about the Second World War and learning about Henry VIII and learning about all those kind of classic historical ideas, but also actually introducing them to ideas that maybe we weren't taught when we were at school. So there's there's I don't think there's any shame or harm in us being honest about perhaps some of the murkier things that happened during the age of the British Empire perhaps acknowledging some of the truths about slavery and that kind of thing, but also making an effort to um, celebrate the contribution made to the history of Britain in a positive way by um, by everyone, regardless of their, their race, their background, their gender. And I think we can do both those things. I don't think there's any inherent conflict between making sure that we give children, you know, what's sometimes called that sort of cultural capital, that sense of, you know, having, having knowledge that that we expect children to gain at school and also perhaps developing a slightly nuanced view of some of these historical questions that perhaps weren't explored in quite the uh, with quite the, the subtlety we would have liked them to be in the past. And what's the reaction from the children to this sort of topic, this sort of change in, in the curriculum? Well, I, mean, I think it's generally very positive. I mean, obviously Bancroft is a very um, diverse school and I think it is it is nice for all of our children to be able to see that history included people who look like them. Um, and I think everyone it's important that everyone can feel that. But also I think what I hope it will actually uh, will actually happen is they won't see it as strange. You know, they'll they'll come out of school having simply learnt 
all of these different aspects of history and with all their nuances and they'll you know they'll just be interested in finding out well you know what's the truth what's the the truth of this and and being interested in trying to find out more themselves and explore themselves what the truth is about some of these more more contested questions and I, I really what yeah what i hope is that they'll they'll come away from it and they they almost won't think anything about it it will just seem natural and it won't seem strange i really like those words you used just then about being interested in trying to find out so rather than telling the children here are the facts here is what you should know it, it's about giving them the inspiration and the appetite to learn and to discover more and to figure things out for themselves. Well, young children are naturally curious. They're naturally filled with academic resilience, if you like, because if you think about you know, a two or three-year-old, perhaps even younger, taking their first steps, they'll stand up, they'll fall down, they'll fail, and they'll get up and they'll start again. And that kind of curiosity, that determination to find things out yourself, to work out how to do things... That's inherent in young children. And something happens to far too many people as they grow up that almost seems to sap that out of them. And our job as educators is to make sure we keep that fire burning, to keep that curiosity not just um, alive, but but ever growing, so that they're, they're constantly wanting to learn more about the things that they've learned a little bit about, to make connections between the different things that they've already learned about, and to to challenge the things they've learned about, to find out about different perspectives. I think, you know, if if we're not keeping that curiosity alive, then I don't know what, what we're for. I really like the way you've explained that. And it reminds me of some of the conversations we've had in other editions of this podcast with maybe staff at the senior school. And it's it's a theme maybe that, that we can see coming out through everyone we speak to at Bancroft's about that that appetite for learning and that curiosity and that passion. And it's really nice to hear that being echoed by by you as as well as your colleagues. In fact, tell us a little more about your relationship with the senior school. How closely do the two parts of the school work together? Well, obviously, there are huge advantages to us as a prep school to being um, on, you know, essentially on, on the edge of the same site as um, the senior school. And our children do swimming lessons there every week. They're able to use a lot of their facilities for, for sports, sometimes for things like um DT. And it's also, there's wonderful um, opportunities every now and then for uh, children at the senior school, um, perhaps young people at the senior school, I should say, when we talk about sixth formers, sharing some of what they've been doing with the prep school children. So there's often, there's a science fair, um, they've done sometimes done a um, modern languages fair where, where sixth formers up at the senior school will um, create stalls, create activities for the prep children to kind of share some of what they've learned with them. And obviously that's so um, inspiring for our our children, because they're seeing these older, uh, older people who who are further down the road than they are, um, and it makes them think about well, what subjects might I want to do in more detail when I'm at senior school. Um, and so I think having that connection is is really really important, really valuable. It makes um, it makes our, our children think about the whole journey, not just about you know where where we are, um, where we're going to get to by the time we're we're eleven. And I think. The, as I mentioned earlier, we're now in this situation where our children aren't sitting the 11 plus entrance exam for the senior school. And I think this gives us really exciting opportunities in the years to come to further develop that kind of sense of flow from one school to the other to make sure that, you know, we're on the same page and that, that what we're doing flows seamlessly into what they're doing. I get a sense of community that even though in some senses, yes, you may be two schools, but I do get this sense of of, of a connection and a community uh, where the needs of the children are looked after all the way through the younger age groups up to, as you say, sixth form. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Obviously, you get that thing where we encounter the children we taught as they're walking around <laughs> the senior school. Some of them are, are too cool to say hello, but the vast majority will, uh, you know, kind of... Uh, 
it'd be nice for them to see their old prep school teachers still walking around the same place. Um, and that is nice. It sort of creates a sense of, uh, it's like I say, I go back to what I was saying at the start about the whole thing being a journey. It makes it feel more like a, a journey, more like a, a story. Well, look, I'm sure those older children really appreciate the start that you and your colleagues in the prep school uh, have given them uh, as they take that journey. Tim, thank you so much. You've really helped us understand a little more about the approach to learning within Bancroft's prep school and the way that your decisions and the evolution that you help with that curriculum is really benefiting the children in your care. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you very much. We were speaking to Tim Paramore, Director of Studies at Bancroft's prep school. Tim explained how a school curriculum should have breadth, width and height. He explained his view that children love being entrusted with big ideas and Tim told us how Bancroft's Prep School and Senior School work closely together. Thank you, Tim. That's it for this episode. To find out more, check out the school website, bancrofts.org. Now, our next episode is coming out soon. So in the meantime, thank you for listening to this one. Don't forget to follow or subscribe so you can stay in touch. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.